2: You're listening to the best of the Tom Bernard Show.com brought to you by Bradshaw and Bryant.
3: Who, me? Well, <laughs> so I'd like to really know if season. I was
4: married to a horror oh, piece of shit. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you can just look at her license.
5: My
4: it's special stripe. That
5: uh, is amazing. Stripe oh the- my gosh.
4: <laughs> Coming by sweet corn, potatoes, onions.
3: everybody to yet another episode of the best of the tom bernard podcast brought to you by bradshaw and bryant kicking off the show this week we had wilfred riley talking about cancel culture race relations in america today which aren't nearly as bad as the media would have you believe next on the best of
2: Taboo, 10 Facts You Can't Talk About. Wilfred Riley. Hello, Mr. Riley. How are you? Pretty good. How are you guys? Nice talking to you again. Last time we talked, uh, when your last uh, book came out, Hate Crime Hoax, I was fascinated by the subject because I've been uh, in radio for uh, 49 years. Next year, 50 years, right? And I do a talk show. I, I do a morning talk show. You've been on that talk show before, the KQRS morning show in Minneapolis. We had you on, as a matter of fact, when Hate Crime Hoax came out. What I love about talking to you, Mr. Riley, is the fact that uh, I, I suffer from all of this all the time. Things you can't talk about, even though they're true. How did we get there? Is it okay if I just call you Wilfred?
1: Yeah, sure. That's fine. Uh, most of my
2: friends call me Will. Will it be good. I'll call you Will. Will Riley. Hey, Will, Will so So Will, how did we get to this but I was just I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about and then I just want to shut up and hear you talk about it because I love your take on things. There's a news delivery service uh called Newser, right? And, you you know, if you're on radio, you check these news delivery services for the latest stories and all the rest of it. And there's a story in news about the stock market going down 26 points yesterday. For the past 21 hours, it says in the story that the stock market, the Dow, went down 26 points to 19,160. Now, of course, the stock market twenty nine 29,160. But it has said on their website for the past 21 hours that the stock market is 19160 Some people are going to see that and believe it. You do uh-huh. know that. This is getting to be really annoying, Will. I, I don't know how much longer we can deal with this. Uh, I also have, have had discussions with people about the very things you're about to talk uh, about today. You know, the white privilege thing and this. Well, you know what? As I said, I will just... Shut up, because last time we had you on it, just fascinated me because, well, well, I run into a lot of kickback because I speak my mind. I do not lie, I do not make things up. I will not kowtow to other people, and people do not like that at all will
1: yeah i'm I'm not surprised. So I think that the first thing that you're saying right off the top there, is uh, something actually very important. Just because something's in the media doesn't mean that it's true. I mean, oh, yeah. I invest in the market and the Dow hasn't been below 20000 for, you might correct this, but eight years, something like that. So <laughs>
2: exactly.
1: If you are a person that takes what, basically, if you're a person that takes what you see in the news blindly and at face value, you're often going to be lied to. And what we're really what we're talking about here isn't really the stock market, although that was a great intro. It's some of these claims that are made politically on left and less often but still fairly frequently on right that are obviously false, but that you are simply not supposed to notice are nonsensical. and so the the topic of this book, taboo, is the ten things that you're really not supposed to say at a dinner party. But that everyone kind of knows. And the goal is sort of giving people ammunition so they can actually discuss these topics. But although this ended up not being a full chapter, for example, I talk about the question of whether men can simply decide to become women. Um, I talk about the Black Lives Matter movement, which dominated kind of upper middle class media and conversation for a good two years. And which it turns out was wrong about almost everything. There are less than a 1,000 people killed by police in a typical year. LEOs are pretty well trained. And of those, maybe a third are going to be African-American. I talk about interracial crime in general. I mean, there's not a lot of it at all. Uh, 85% Mm -hmm. of white murder victims and an astonishing 94% of black murder victims are killed by somebody of their own race, Mm -hmm. generally that they knew, person most likely to kill you is your ex-wife. So, I talk about that, why we're so afraid. And I also mention in passing, and this I guess would be genuinely taboo, that when interracial crime does occur, it's actually about 70 to 80% black on white. So, I talk about interracial crime. I talk about Black Lives Matter. I talk about the trans movement. Um, I have a chapter on white privilege, actually, where I talk about that and the idea of cultural appropriation. And I think I make some good jokes, but I also get into the actual research there. And what we tend to find in quantitative social science is that they're about. 20 or 30 things that affect how you're going to be treated in life, and race is about number eight on that list, whether you're white or black. Uh, Number one is social class. The main thing that makes people think you're rich and powerful is being rich and powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, That's (laughs) number one by a long shot. About 80% of privilege is just class. But, I mean, there's some other things. Uh, Men do have some advantages over women. Uh, It's a bit tougher to be gay, especially in an urban area. You know, mm-hmm. being from the north gives you some advantages over being from the south. You know, there's IQ, height, weight. So only after you get through all that do you really get into the impact of, say, being Cuban. So I talk about that. I talk about cultural appropriation. You know, so on, down the line, race and IQ. All the things you're not supposed to talk about, at least in that social science dinner party setting, are uh, are tackled in the book. I think pretty intelligently.
2: Oh, I, don't, I would not argue that for one second. Um Kind of a coincidence, since you're on today, uh, I, as I said, I do a morning talk radio show as well, and we had a comedian named Big Jay Oakerson, who's a very, very funny comedian, oh, yeah. was in studio, and he said, I gotta tell you something, Tom, this just happened, and it never happened before, he said, uh, on stage last night at uh, the comedy club, I mentioned that I had to get home and go to bed, because I was getting up to do your show today, and a guy yelled out, Tom Bernard sucks. And he said, why do you think that happened? I said, why? Because I I talk about things like uh, what you just talked about. What I do is I go, and by the way, I triple check stats on three different sites about white privilege, about cultural appropriation, about crime, about all these different things. Since I begin talking about exactly what you're talking about, some people hate my guts, man. I'll tell you that. Oh, they don't like it. Isn't that amazing?
1: Yeah, it is. And I think that's actually really interesting in terms of the context of that being the comedy club. Mm-hmm. Because comedy seems to right. be the one sector where people are just saying, and this is true for black comics, white comics, it's true for conservative comics like Larry the Cable Guy or Norm McDonald. people are just saying, look, our whole business is basically telling ethnic jokes. Like, we're not going to stop telling jokes because we're offending you. So comedy right. is kind of that last line where comedians like Kevin Hart and so on have just said to hell with it. You know, I'll turn down a major opportunity rather than literally cut out everything that's a white joke or a black joke or a gay joke out of my routine. And my my reaction to that tends to be good for the comedians. I couldn't imagine anything worse than listening to social justice comedy. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. You're not allowed to clap. You just need to do that thing with your fingers in the air and so on. I actually have listened (laughs) to social justice comedy. I guess I listened to the Hannah Gadsby special once with a date, and it was an an interesting experience. I mean, I don't know if I'd call it comedy, but... Uh, anywho, yeah, the the basic idea that these things are taboo is very real. Uh, I, I don't think, I mean, Big J is a member of a comedy group called Legion of Skanks, so I don't really think he cares. <laughs> exactly. It, it doesn't surprise me that one guy in the crowd was woke enough to yell that out. But it's always this sort of virtue signal. I mean, you're not going to go on stage and challenge a 300-pound comedian about what he's saying. You
6: just sort of uh, make no. your
1: noise and then move on. But, uh, yeah, many of these ideas getting to the point are pretty silly. I mean, if cultural appropriation were real, I couldn't wear shoes. You know, the civilized African tribes wore <laughs> robes and sandals, not pants and sneakers. So, like, I mean, my car is a Mercedes, not boasting or complaining. Just, like, if you couldn't take something for another culture, I'd have to give that back to the Germans. You know, yes, trade yeah, it in for a Cadillac right. or something. So, I mean, it, the idea that you can't take things from other societies is absolutely acid. And that would include sushi, hibachi, tandoori, chicken soccer football nobody actually believes this it's just something you can say to look woke oh, yeah
2: no, you're absolutely right about that. I, I, exactly what you're talking about. You know, one of the things that really got people's heads spinning is is we, have, we had a couple of people calling and go, you know, I want, to, I want to talk about cultural appropriation and I want to talk about, you know, white men in America. I said, only white men? They said, yes, white men in America. You know, you've been in control forever and you've botched it and it's been horrible and blah, 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 blah. I said, so you want to go after white men. You mentioned cultural appropriation. Get off your phone don't listen to the radio, don't watch television, don't use your computer, don't use any of that stuff. And all the people, including people in the Middle East, like in Iran, they're hopping on all that wonderful digital stuff uh, and then saying that basically America sucks. I, I don't understand how you can do both.
1: Well, because you're just a hypocrite. I mean, now, in reality, I will say, white men, of course, have made great contributions to society, but cultural appropriation is a stupid-ass idea for anyone. I mean, if you're talking about this from a northern European perspective, an Irishman or a Scotsman or whatever, it is cultural appropriation to be a Christian or to engage in farming, because those things come from the Middle East. Right. So, I mean... No one takes this idea seriously. Mm. Cultural appropriation is literally just a way to look woke. If cultural appropriation were a real thing, if you actually want to take this seriously, if cultural appropriation were a real thing and you're using the standard academic definition, no one could do anything. Whites couldn't eat sushi. Blacks couldn't eat tacos. Even if you use that kind of narrower definition that is breaking it down to it's rude to take something from a group you once oppressed or warred with, that still would block, say, 75% of everything, rather if not 100%. I mean, the U.S.A. fought shooting wars with Japan and Mexico, actually.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, so that, exactly. that's pretty much where the <laughs> idea stops. But if you if you want to take it a step further, I mean, cultural appropriation logically wouldn't just seem to apply across racial lines. I mean, so can you listen sure. to anything invented by any oppressed group? I mean, you know, country music or hip-hop come from poor communities. Electronic dance music comes from gay communities. So anyone trying to actually do this would wind up with just the bowl of unseasoned potatoes that their black or Irish ancestors would have eaten 400 years ago. And nobody's going to do that. What they're going to do is point at one or two highly visible things like white party girls with dreadlocks and attempt to act like they're making a social statement, but they're not.
2: No, absolutely true. How is life, by the way, uh, you know, Professor... Will is with us today, uh, Kentucky State University, historically black institution. You're a black man in America today. Is it worse for you because you want to tell the truth?
1: No, not really. That's actually a fairly important point I want to make. There's a big difference between this BS on Twitter and real life. I mean, mm. I mean, in reality, I'm a 200-pound former athlete. I'm not extraordinarily tough, but I'm a pistol instructor at the side job. I'm pretty popular in my community city of about a hundred thousand so i mean Mm. i've never in actual life had someone come up to me and even use profanity when they were disagreeing with me and when i talk to people that have been in quote unquote the business that are conservative talk show hosts or left-leaning comedians or something that's pretty much what they all say so in practice life's been extraordinarily good i mean i wrote a best-selling book and they paid me for it um I guess you could argue that Twitter is a little awkward. Like, every time I go on, I have people kind of standing for me from the center right. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, they're just expressing their opinion. Or tossing Mm -hmm. darts, mostly from the left. But, I mean, the way to avoid cyberbullying, to some extent, is just to turn off the computer if you're an adult male. So, I mean, in in practice, reality, no, absolutely nothing negative has happened. I've gotten a couple of consulting opportunities, and I am writing a second book, actually. I mean, obviously, Taboo's coming out. So, I don't, in practice, if you write a, you know, scholarly right-of-center book, nothing happens. I mean, there aren't mobs outside George Will's house.
2: <laughs> George Will. I, I, you know, I haven't heard that name in a while. What, what happened to George Will? He kind of disappeared.
1: He watches a lot of baseball now, I guess. I, I, I yeah, I've a does. copy of yeah, my he does. book. Yeah. And he, he basically is just out of the game. There are a lot of people that just get to that point, left and right, former military, former trading floor, whatever, where it's like, the hell is it? I'm going to live on a farm. Like, John Stewart now is uh, caring for endangered animals on a farm out east somewhere. So
6: just yeah, sort of right, you get tired exactly of people right.
1: shouting at you. You're For Stewart or Will, I mean, you're a fifty millionaire so you just go the hell back to the Hamptons and relax.
6: Hmm.
4: Yeah,
2: that's exactly yeah, what the situation life, is.
4: I grew up on a farm for the first 18 years. I moved to the city, and now I'm... We're, my family's going to be moving back out to uh, South Dakota in, a, like, probably 10, 15 years because it's just... Things are just, you know, there's less crime, there's less pollution, there's less hate.
1: No, I mean, I think that that's, um, it's interesting because it's a cycle. Like, when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. I mean, first of all, I grew up in a city. I grew up on the south, I was born on the south side of Chicago, grew up on the east side of Aurora. But still, those are kind of like the working class, real human neighborhoods of those cities. And I kind of couldn't wait to get out and go to a competitive college, join the army, or move downtown to the bright lights or whatever. And then as an adult, after you've been in the game for 15 or 20 years, you're often disgusted with it. Yeah, you just want to relax and watch your vegetables grow. Mm -hmm. But that cycle has gone on for a long time. I mean, there's a recruiting flyer for the old Roman legions that said, excuse the language, the translation is pretty much, are you tired of walking behind the ass end of a horse? You know, go fight. (laughs) And that's pretty much the pitch for a lot of militaries today, not to mention every modeling agency and ad agency in a big city. But once you've lived in center city San Francisco for fifteen years, I mean there it might well look like there's nothing better for you than bountiful Utah.
4: Oh, yeah, so much vice yeah, well, and yeah, it's there's a lot of awful things that almost exclusively go on in cities is the problem. And there doesn't have to be. Cities can be I mean, you know, look at places like Tokyo, you know, Yakuza notwithstanding. It's it's clean, there's low crime, it's way too many people per square mile, but other than that, you know, cities don't have to be bad. They just seem to be in the West.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think the response to that, like the city boy defense, because I'm still mid-30s, I mean, I've moved from Chicago to like a state capital city that's pretty big. The defense of a city would be that there are also good things that go on in cities that don't go on anywhere else. If you want to take someone to the ballet on a good second date, that's not something that's necessarily going to occur if you're you know, living on a sheep farm. No. Um, but yeah, cities right now, cities again go through cycles. I mean, as a social scientist, I say this about almost everything, but there's no inherent reason cities have to be unlivable hellholes. But there are certain patterns. Like mm-hmm. if you have a city that has a high population of poor individuals, and that has a lot of ethnic diversity, which can produce fist fighting and robbery and so on, and it has public transportation that allows people to go across the city. Has any of the things our cities have? You also need sort of a strong law and order leader, or the yes. city is going to kind of descend into chaos. And right. you saw in urban areas exactly that happened between kind of the seventies and the nineties. We really liberalized policing. Rent control was instituted, so you had essentially section eight housing in the best buildings. And crime went up, what, 500%, 600%. Oh, yeah. And then you got the Giuliani's and so on that came in there and toned that down. But now you're now you're seeing a rise of crime again. Crime's up about 15%. So, obviously, during the peak of a high crime cycle, that's when you're going to see most people get the hell out of the city.
4: Right.
2: Yeah, that would make total sense. I have a hard time. Well, I will tell you this, Will. Over the, over the 35 years that I've been on the morning show uh, in Minneapolis and St. Paul... Because I do tell the truth, and I will not lie, and I will not suck up to somebody. I just don't do those things. I grew up in the inner city, very, very tough neighborhood. Three of my, my uncles were murdered. I mean, one of them throwing off a building. So I didn't grow up with that white privilege they love to talk about, even though I'm a white guy, right? But I also never, ever saw the things that these people were talking about. The, the neighborhood in which I grew up, a lot of Catholics, black people, and Jews. That's who were in my, our neighborhood. You know, it was back in the 60s. Um, I'm a few years older than you, Will. Let me just put it that Uh way. So what they do now here in Minnesota is if they don't like something that I say, they will write in a newspaper that I'm racist, homophobic, and sexist. I'm all those things. Of course, I'm none of those things, but they're trying to do as much damage as they possibly can. Have we always been like that in a society?
1: Well, no. We... The idea of political correctness and all this modern whining and complaining is a relatively recent thing, and it's actually a <laughs> negative side effect of a positive reality, which is that society's gotten a lot better. Um, in the 1960s, even in the North, you didn't have to look too far if you wanted to find real racism. Um, I grew oh, yeah. up in a pretty similar integrated neighborhood. I mean, we had African-Americans, Irishmen, Italians, Hispanics, I and mean, right. my association with racism would be someone trying to beat you up because of your race.
6: Exactly.
1: But that is dramatically, dramatically less common. I actually wrote an article about this for commentary the other day where I looked at the actual numbers on interracial crime, not the panic on either side. And there's very little. I mean, African Americans make up about 14% of the country, commit 15% of attacks against whites. Whites are even less racist. Whites commit less than 20% of attacks against blacks. Whites make up 60% of the country. So in the absence, I mean, obviously the USA in the North desegregated around 1926, the South 1954. So if you just don't have old school racism, and I can't imagine the last time a cross was burnt in Center City St. Paul. Yeah, um, what you do is <laughs> not really. try to read. I mean, it, it, we're laughing because it's a ridiculous idea. But that's what racism ridiculous. is. I mean, racism is the Klan, it's the Muslim Brothers. You have none yep. of that in a typical working class suburban community. So Mm -hmm. what I think you've seen a lot of on the political left is the redefinition of words like racism. So when people talk about subtle racism, um, what they're talking about is systems like the SAT that produce slightly different results for different groups. People talk about white privilege, meaning whites are 10% more likely to be upper middle class. People talk about cultural appropriation, you know, my white girlfriend shaved the side of her scalp it's we've removed we've moved standard deviations in the technical sense away from racism being those guys are chasing me with a stick because i'm italian and mm-hmm. i think that's good but we also can't allow the word to be redefined racism means what it always did it means the clan so on the reality is that now there's a lot less racism We don't need to pretend there's the same amount of racism by changing the definition of the word. This is also true for a ton of other things, by the way. I mean, rape, hate crime. Mm -hmm. I mean, those words have definitions in the law for reasons. And I think that we should be able to say, hey, things are better now.
7: Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast.
3: Wilfred Riley on the best of coming up next we had Dr. Jacqueline Jones you have kids grandkids are you super duper sure about where who their doctor is well you might want to rethink it after this next
2: Medical Parenting, How to Navigate Health, Wellness, and the Medical System with Your Child. Medical Parenting is the essential guide for parents to take control of their child's health from choosing a pediatrician to helping children transition into adulthood. Uh, So where do you want to start, Dr. Jones? We've got a lot to talk about here today.
0: (laughs) Wonderful. Well, one of the things that parents are always interested in is how do they choose a pediatrician? And that's a great place to sort of start off because it's a wonderful place to think about what you need in your life. And all of us need to think about that. What you need in your life to make this easier for you. And that's one of the things that I address in my book is how to choose a pediatrician.
2: Well, and how do you? I mean, I'm I'm sure there are several different criteria, and it depends on what fits you, right?
5: Well, aren't you usually stuck with what your insurance plan does? That's really
0: important. So one of the most important things I ask parents in my book to think about is, what works for you? What do you need? Do you need a pediatrician where you're gonna see the same pediatrician for most of your visits or you're a first time mom and need more support? Or is this your third child and you got this and you need just need a little support? So that's gonna help you in choosing a practice. You know, if you're a first time mom and you wanna see the same pediatrician, maybe you wanna think about a smaller practice or an independent practice. Um, or even one of the concierge practice, which is one of the newer models. If you're a third-time mom and you got this, you know, a bigger practice where you may see, you know, different doctors, but obviously all those doctors are going to have similar philosophies. So that's one of the first things you need to think about, big versus small. You know, I live in New York City, so there's probably about, you know, three pediatricians for every block. So, you know, we have a lot of choices here, but if you live, um, you know, in a rural Nevada, you know, you may have only one or two practices in in your town. So, what options do you have? So that's another choice that's there. Um, and, and the third choice is again research. You know, anytime we choose anything, it's great to have research. So, looking online, but you have to realize that you know most of the people who post online are the people who had a bad experience. So you got to put that in, you know, in your 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 filter, um, going to the state medical society, looking at hospital reviews, and, and really get to knowing the practice before you go. And one of the most important things that I tell parents, if you can fit it in your schedule before your baby is born, go and visit the practice. So many of the practice have meet and greet sessions where you can go and meet the practitioners, take a look at the practice, meet the support staff, and really sort of know what you're getting into before you sign up for that practice.
2: Yeah, that makes total sense. Dr. Basham, what do you think? I, uh,
8: I would agree with all those things. I think that, you know, customizing, you know, your care. But the other part of it, part of it is that, you know, you want somebody who's going to give you the best care possible. And that person may or may not have, they may bring the best intellect, the best problem solving, but they may not have the best personality. So you have to be very... You have to be careful about, you know, going to someone who you like. You're not yeah. you're not making a friend here. You want somebody who's going to give you quality care on a consistent basis. Um, and, that is, and I think that's as important or more important than some of the other things.
5: Well, but then you have to like them, too, because I have so many friends that have young kids, and a lot of them have changed pediatricians because they're like, they just have no bedside no, manner, and know, they just no. have no... You know, it's like the whole turn and burn thing. Like we're just trying to get as many patients in here as possible, so we're just going to like give you antibiotics and send you on your way, and not really give two shits about what's actually going on.
8: But you still want the best care possible. Well, yeah, if but I, I mean if, but I I'm choose, saying. if I have to choose between someone who's 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 I uh, likeable and blah 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 blah, or someone who's going to give the best medical care possible, who's who's not a has great has not have good bedside manner. I'm choosing the person with the poor bedside manner well, yeah. because I want the best care.
5: Well, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that you want the both if you can.
8: Good luck. And
0: yeah,
5: I have wonder. I love my pediatrician,
0: and that sometimes takes research to find yeah. that. And and you know, and I, I do think you can find it more and more, but it, it takes time and, and effort.
8: Yeah, and and, and I always and I always. I always think that you should start with your other physicians that you trust. So if you're, a new, if you're a new mother and you've just gone through, you know, a year, nine months to a year of care with your obstetrician, you might want to visit with them. You might want to see what their past experiences is, are with the uh, care uh, near you. And I think that that's a, a great place to start because they know who's doing a good job.
0: Absolutely. And, and a, Dr. Basham, that's such a big, great point to bring up because if you had a great experience with your obstetrician, you, know, you want someone who's going to have similar philosophy and yeah, ways to yeah. take care for the patient. So, you know, using your obstetrician as one of the first, you know, points in getting referrals is a great way to start.
2: I can see that. Um, what I really like about this, and I have to ask you, Dr. Jones, you know, when that young woman was talking about taking her kids as a pediatrician? Just now, yes. Um, could you tell? Could you tell by your attitude that she's my daughter?
0: <laughs> <laughs> is she really? But how lucky are you? That's wonderful. Uh, to get to talk to your daughter every day, I just get to get the text with mine. <laughs>
2: and my son are my wife is on the show. Our sons on the show. Our daughters on the show. This show was started so we could all work together.
6: That's um,
2: great. Really enjoy how it. Our pe- Right. Dr. Jones, are people closer to their children now than they were, say, uh, in the in the when the baby boomers uh, were children? Were they all that close to their parents? Uh, certainly not as close as they are now, right?
0: You know, I think it's a different closeness. You know, I wouldn't say yeah, that. You know, our parents or you know we their you know, children any more or less than than parents do now. But I think there's a different level of of Um, involvement in in children. Um, You know, I think it's a different world than when I grew up, and and kids have a lot more stressors on them, and parents have a lot more stressors on them. You know, I have a a big pediatric practice, and I probably saw four teenagers, 11th graders this morning, all with stress-related disorders. And, you know, their parents are there, and their stress is only making their kids stress more. So it's... It's a difficult time for, for parents and for kids because there is so much stress on these kids that we just didn't have. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, involvement is different.
8: And, and Doctor, what, what's causing the stress?
0: You know, I think it's both internal stress and external stress. I think that kids now, you know, they have this view that they all have to go to the best possible college yep. that they can. And there's only, you know, 10 of those best possible colleges and so many of them are at so much stress that they're putting on themselves to succeed. And then parents have a view that their kids need to be as successful and as motivated and uh, follow their path. Um, So there's both internal stress and external stress. So it's hard on kids. I don't know about you, Dr. Basham, but do you remember ever, like, studying for the SATs? I think I did, but I'm not really sure. And, you know, my kids, you know, they they took, you know, SAT prep courses for months and months on end.
8: So it's just so much. Is this this a fallout from telling children that they can do anything that they want? Mm -hmm. Is Is it because what you're saying is, oh, you can go, you're going to be able to go to do anything you want, anything you want. And that
4: anything is never electrician or plumber. That's it's right. It's always I mean, the person I mean, who's going to I mean, run I mean, the electricians. It's so
0: difficult because we want to be supportive of our children. But on the other hand, sometimes we don't let them fail. And all of us mm-hmm. who are older know that failure is one of the things that made us stronger. Good. You know, not succeeding made all of us say, okay, I did succeed at that. Okay, let me pick myself up and go ahead and figure out how I get over the hurdle. And I make the best of it. And many times, you know, and, and you know, I'm talking a good talk, but I did the same thing. We run, in, we run in and say, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I remember, like, my kids would forget their tennis rackets. You know, they had tennis after school. You know, they forget their tennis rackets. And, you know, I would call from work in the middle of my patient day and say, oh, the babysitter, can you run up and bring, you know, Peter his tennis racket? Should he have just missed tennis and have to, like, coach yell at him? No, no, no. I ran and brought it to him, like, once a week. So, you know, I talk a good talk, but... uh You know, we're all guilty, and it's hard. It didn't create independence and and self-reliance, and I think
8: we're seeing that now with a lot of kids. Yeah, One experience that does come to mind for me is when I I was in ninth grade, I played football, and I said, oh, I'm going to do this varsity thing, I'm going to do this tenth grade thing, and I went out and I went to the practices for about a week or so, and I got a point, and I said, man, I want no parts of this. And I just came home uh, in the middle of one of these practices or, you know, m- during the m- midday break. I got home, and I thought my dad was b- be disappointed. And he looked at me and goes, oh, thank God you stopped. I didn't want you to do it anyhow. And perfect, perfect. So, so, re- so really, you know, the children, they're not they're uncertain about what their parents' response is going to be. And they may be shocked at what that response is, and it might be far more supportive than they feared.
0: We so hope. And, you know, as parents, that's what we really want to foster is, you know, realizing what your child's passion is and what they want to do and not fa- foster your own wishes on them. Let them follow their own path, whatever it may be. Um,
2: is that safe, though, to let them follow their own path? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just thinking about that. <laughs> when well, you have
0: teenagers, <laughs> you know that no matter what you, you tell them, they're not going to do what you tell They're not going to follow the path that you want them to follow. Um, no. So, I mean, I'm a physician. One of my children is an anthropologist, and the other is a filmmaker. Like, wouldn't I have loved them to go into medicine or law they have a little bit more stable right. job? But no.
8: <laughs> yeah.
0: It, so, but they're following their passion you. and they're happy, and that's all I want for them.
8: So. Yeah, and that's and my, my kids kind of did the same way. They decided yeah. when they were 14 they wanted to be actors. So you know we're and in, in, in to enabling enable the behavior we schlep them out to L A. We get a house there. They're successful actors for a period of time. Now they're not. Well, one is not an actor anymore, but the other one is toying with the idea of going back to auditioning for commercials. So that's great. Oh, okay.
6: See, so there you go. You know,
0: you have to let them follow their dream and support them as much as you can.
8: Yeah.
2: I liked I like it the, when I, I was just looking back. Try to compare, you know, my experiences as a child and growing up and all the rest of it. And it was a little tougher back then because I do remember my high school counselor, Dr. Jones, <laughs> told me one day, sitting talking to her, You know, Tom, you should get a factory job because you got no shot. <laughs> I will never
0: forget
5: that. Which it motivated was. you to be mm-hmm. successful in it other areas. It Absolutely. motivated
6: me. See? It did. That would never yeah. occur now. You know, they say, oh, oh,
0: like, you know, oh, you should be the president of the United States. Yeah. And there's got to be something in between, there's got to be something where. We can see a child's right. potential and help them reach it, but also not quash their 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 vision, but also not put you know such pressure on them to do something that you know may not be what they want to do. It, so it's, it's, it's difficult. Times.
8: It's interesting then in, in, in France, uh, w- that I'm familiar with, in France is that uh, when you're in the equivalent of about ninth or tenth grade, you know you are tested, and based on your results of your testing. You are then, uh, according with the state's uh, state's encouragement, uh, that you will end up in a certain program to maximize your skill sets.
4: America used to do that, didn't they? Yeah. The,
8: uh, uh, job uh, qualification
4: or assessment or whatever, like fifty years. ago.
8: Yeah, but but there, the, the, you so if you so if you don't do you know if if, if your skill set isn't um, uh, in an in intellectual pursuit or in in, in certain kinds of uh, college classes. Then you are immediately switched into a, a program where you become uh, some sort of a uh, some sort of a um, uh, craftsman uh, yeah. and they and they match that and they support that, um, you know, vigorously through the state as well. So you're going to get a good job once you are, if you are a craftsman, you're going to get a good job if you're a doc. So, you know, they, they sort it out themselves. But, you know, here everybody's going to be a president of the United States. Mm-hmm. no, nah, no, <laughs> no, you're not.
0: And it's difficult because, you know, we all know that a lot of kids don't reach their potential until they're, you know, in their mid-20s or even know what they want to do. So it's difficult in our society to ask kids at eight, you know, 17 or 18 to say, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? You know, we'd have to really do a big cultural shift in putting more responsibility on kids earlier to have them be able to make that decision. So, you know, kudos to the French to do it, but I don't know how well it would work here.
2: Medical Parenting, How to Navigate Health, Wellness, and the Medical System with Your Child, Dr. Jacqueline Jones. The book is available everywhere, I'm certain. Certainly available on Amazon. Yeah, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Milk all
0: sorts of
2: places. All sorts of places. Dr. Jones, thanks for your time today. I, I learned a lot today. Thank you. This
0: is so interesting. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate
2: it. Our great pleasure. Hope we talk again soon best of the Tom Bernard podcast
3: you. No kill that was Dr. Jacqueline Jones coming up next closing out the show we're opening up the old vault all the way back to episode 363 with Joey Diaz talking about ranch on chicken wings
2: We should add some, like, royalty music to play before we introduced you.
7: No, I thought you meant royalty music for the ads.
5: Like, <laughs> I <like, like laughs> like playing
7: the piano, and they put all those dogs in the, and it breaks your heart. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. You lady. know who
5: we had on the show earlier this year, a few months ago, was the, and I can't think of her name. You did Beauty and the Beast.
7: Felicia. Oh, Felicia. 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 Yeah, yeah she was sweet. Very sweet girl. She's very really, sweet. Really, really was nice. she she, me like or or she was here? She was at House of Comedy.
3: She was at House of Comedy. House of Comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Indeed. Very sweet. I was telling Joey, we just saw, oh, by the way, <laughs> I should introduce our guest, Joey Coco Diaz at Mad Flavor.
5: Mad Flavor. He's I always at, feel like every time you say his name, it sort of sounds like Oprah Winfrey joey coco <laughs>
7: like yeah believe it or not like in california a lot of people just like saying
2: the coco part of it really yeah so mm-hmm. i kept it in there i guess a world coconut that's it's great, great. Coconut. It, that's people a wonderful like it. story it's a great story anyway joey is at rick bronson's mm-hmm. house comedy tonight tomorrow night and saturday night you
5: saturday. like our weather
2: I love it. I love it. Are
5: you love jealous? Like you don't you know, I don't
6: with?
2: mind cold weather like this.
7: Well, it's this just being out there and working, and that's a different thing, you know, putting the fire out in this weather. Yeah. yeah. But just yeah. walking around and stuff, it is what it is. Just to consider yesterday, as I walked into LAX, my flight was at 3, so just walking from the terminal, from the parking into the terminal, I broke into a sweat, and it was 82 it's
3: that warm in LA. Uh, it was 82
7: April. yesterday. When I, but was It was amazing. a little stronger than 82. It was hot. It was hot. I didn't stop sweating. For,
3: you know, LA. Yeah. Right? yeah,
7: I didn't stop sweating until I got in the terminal and sat down. It was hot. So
2: magnificent. I magnificent. just I want to get this out of the way because I told uh, Joey this morning on KQRS that uh, I received an email that said you and Joey are related. This is proof of it because I had gone on a rant you know how much I hate ranch dressing. That I just ranch dressing. Yes, is com- you do
5: have a problem with it. I, a huge problem with it.
6: So,
2: I, Andy, is there any way you could pull up? It's got to be on YouTube, isn't it? What are we talking about? Joey Coco Diaz rants about ranch dressing. Actually, Let's we could see. just do it live. If you want. I
7: think people do it to me, like Red Band Joe's friend does it to me because he knew, so he would always order his side. Of ranch, and I would eyeball them till the fucking thing came. (laughs) I would just like eyeball them, Like, I can't believe Don't even put it next to me. Like, I don't even like it here. Put it on your side of the table.
5: That's how I am about ketchup.
7: Yeah, no, no, I don't mind ketchup, but ranch dressing. And then the thing that they found in L.A., the reason what really made me snap was I went somewhere. (laughs) And I ordered wings, and these motherfuckers didn't have, your options were either ranch or dick. (laughs) And I'm like, how can you serve wings when your option's are ranch or dick? You gotta have blue cheese. That's the way they invented them in the Anchor Bar 18 fucking ninety. So how the hell are you gonna break tradition and serve this ass water? Because that's all ranch is. It's like fucking mayonnaise that you wipe your ass with. And that's what's left over, the little brown particles. That's what's left over, the barnacles in your asshole.
6: I'm sorry, man. Enjoy it. If you're a Christian,
7: get the Cross now and hug it, motherfuckers. Because you know Uncle them. Joey's in Minneapolis, bitch. <laughs> what,
2: I, what I love most about the video, the video is obviously lifted from
4: the Joe Rogan experience right. because... Yeah, I found it, if you wanna, but it's from the Joe Rogan experience. It's from the Joe Rogan experience. Is that it's a problem? On, it's, on YouTube, isn't it? it's on YouTube. How long is it? A uh, minute 30.
2: Yeah, we got a minute 30, but but I, yeah, it's good. I actually do play this because Joe Rogan's reaction to something you say... Um, Ranch dressing is hilarious. Remember which part I'm talking about? No, no. Oh, well, they won't be able to. Well, they can see it on that camera, can't they, Andy? No, not no. really. No. All right. Well, no, it's still yeah. audio. Yeah. it's all, Ooh, all that's audio. audio.
6: That's what, it's that's audio. you're that's ready in.
4: Right.
2: get this. Is Joey Coco Diaz on the Joe if Rogan Experience. Yep. Yeah. Everyone's got an ad. All all copyright whatever. Joe Rogan. Right. Thank you.
3: Credit.
7: I, love Angela,
3: I, I was going off yesterday. I was saying how Joey Diaz would get mad about ketchup, uh, about <laughs> because
7: everyone's be coming to with this fucking Heinz ketchup
4: or ranch. Yeah, totally. Have you ever heard him talk about ranch? Oh, I ever? fucking
7: hate ranch. I don't know how the
6: fuck people could eat that shit.
7: I don't know how people could eat ranch. I like when I go to a place and I say, you "Oh, you have wings," and they say it comes with ranch. I get up and leave, even if I don't get the wings. <laughs> Because if you're going to serve wings with ranch, I don't want to do business with you.
6: <laughs>
7: sure, I don't want to do business with you. I'm very easy. I'm very fucking easy. So wings, if you fuck up pork fried rice, what do we have to talk about?
6: <laughs> sure. meat meat. Meat. If your wonton soup sucks, you
7: you're going to order duck. Unless you're, you're gonna retarded. You're going to show up with that ranch that smells like somebody's ass. They're no saying
3: ranch. that ranch is starting to replace ketchup. Yeah, that's no, good. No if you're a this. fucking hillbilly,
7: you're going have to taste the ass in your mouth all fucking day. I hate that. Fucking red shit. Don't put it close to me. Don't put it around me. It's either blue cheese with wings or go fuck your mother. That's the next shirt, all right, please. (laughs) You're gonna give me a fucking uh, ranch with fucking wings. I can
6: say blue cheese with wings and can fuck your mother. That's the shirt. That's that's the next shirt. That's the next (laughs) shirt.
7: (laughs) I've never heard Joe Rogan's oh, voice crazy. that I are. tell you motherfuckers, I'm you stoned. He gets it. crazy no, when I say dogs in the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> because he knows. He I'm crazy about that stuff. Him and Ryan talk before I go up there. And they figure out shit to do to piss me the fuck off. <laughs> like they look at the cell phones. Or they look, compare fucking iPhones. Or tell themselves about the shit they got on their iPhone. And when I see two men talking about a fucking iPhone, I'm taking the <laughs> fucking head with a stick. So they know all this shit. They know that this stuff drives me insane. How two men should be it comparing. Does. Look at my phone. Look at your phone. Oh, my God. You have the case. Oh, my God. Are you fucking crazy? We're men, bitch. It is the greatest. I'm so sorry. I get fired no, up. No, I get emotional. I, like I Whitney it.
2: in 87. Uh, yeah, so good. Uh, you know, da, I
6: think the guy's da, out there, the photographer. Oh, the
2: photographer's yeah. out there. Oh. I forgot to ask Don to bring that cigar, but you see, you can't buy them. You have to oh, order yeah. them online yeah, anyway. Give me, you know the give me vapor your cigar. Uh, address before you leave, okay. and I'll send you some. They're great. Thank They're, you. Okay. Look, yeah, yeah. It, it smells, smells like a cigar. It
6: looks like a cigar.
4: And,
7: dude, glows on the end like an
2: ember. Like a cigar. Yeah, yeah, yeah it looks yeah. just it's exactly like, like a cigar.
7: Except that glows blue. Yeah. That's a blue, right? Yeah. That's a blue. People get a contact eye off of that? No, there's no weed in here. <laughs> this is nicotine <laughs> flavored. No, no. The Andy weed drinks. one, they have the, the vapor ones in LA with the marijuana, yeah. but I don't think they're that strong. Like, they yeah. would get me high in the morning. But after 12 o'clock, I got to fucking bring in the Calvary. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? By 12 o'clock, I'm already done 90 bong hits. I'm going to sit there hitting a the vapor like some fucking hippie. the fuck out of here. Bring the bong in here with the good shit. Or. You like to boil it down to the oil and then put it in like food. No, well, I, I'll cook it. I'll buy it edible, but I don't cook nothing. I'm no baker. They yeah, have you buy people do all that shit. Yeah, they have the cookies. I ate a brownie yesterday on the plate, and I was fucked up.
5: Really? Oh. <laughs> they're that strong. Oh.
7: I ate a brownie. I couldn't wait for that fucking plane to land last night. Really? I was really? hired and fucked. And then I got it. When I landed, I ate a Chibo chew which really put me over the top last night. And I had nothing to watch. I ended up watching some shitty Jennifer Lopez movie till one in the morning. High as Because f- you can't smoke in this weather. No. Where am I going to smoke? I can't smoke in this weather. Your joint melts.
6: Oh, that's true.
7: <laughs> I just lit the joint. It just turned Apparate. off. Of, even the weed was like, it's too, sm- it's too cold to smoke me. I'm going back into seclusion. So I brought some gummy bears with me, like yeah. the, the gummy bears, 70 yeah. milligram THC gummy bears, and a couple fucking Chibo chews, and you pop those in the <laughs> afternoon, and you're on fire. <laughs>
5: See, and, and away we go <laughs> <And well>, whenever, <laughs> whenever
7: I fly, I get fucked up. I'll eat a couple things, and yeah,
5: really,
6: why
7: not?
2: You're in a plane; you yeah, can't go nowhere. Not? Yeah, I know it's so boring.
5: I've always so heard boring. that you have to be careful with the brownies because, like, people expect to just like eat the brownie and like get high while they're eating the brownie, but it right. takes a while. Right. So there are all these stories of people that like had five pot brownies, and then all of a sudden oh, they no. were like rolling oh. on the floor crying. I mean, I
2: five pot brownies
5: Yeah. They're like, you have to wait like a half hour until... Oh well, yeah, it's it go well, through your digestive California, system, right? Well, you you have right? the
7: milligrams on the package. Yeah. So when you buy, whatever you buy, it has the milligrams of how much THC is in it. Oh. So the brownie I bought yesterday was three brownies divided by 200 milligrams, divided by three. So it's about 63 milligrams a piece. That don't do dick to nobody.
5: What? Oh. <laughs>
7: that don't do nothing to nobody. No? unless okay. you know Unless you play with flowers and... You know, you play the flute part-time. That'll <laughs> fuck you up.
5: That w- I would probably. Yeah, agree. no, it'll <laughs> fuck you up.
7: But, uh, like oh, they have brownies that are 500 milligrams. That's too much. That's too, too much. That'll just take your breath away. Like as it's coming on, you're like ah, and you gotta get something to eat. Like Why I've eaten one of those. So strong? Because there's gorillas out there like myself, so they don't give a fuck. They just want to see the devil. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I, see the devil. I don't some people want to eat. understandable You know, i yeah. you know, oh yeah. my god I'd like to be high for a little no, I want to see the fucking devil. If you're gonna walk on the ice, you might as well dance. And How long
5: does it last?
7: It's endless. Really? endless. Oh my it's God. 12, 13 hours. Really? Oh, that's too long. As it piles on. Well, you just pass out at 6. like I do. I'm do. i 50. Yeah, so yeah, by 7, once the baby goes to
2: sleep, fuck it. I well go to sleep right after. We haven't seen Joey, you know, in 18 months since yeah. then. Yeah. Had a
7: no, baby. we my haven't wife seen a long. baby You're kidding. I have a year old little girl, yeah. So I can't smoke around Congratulations. You know, so I don't smoke around the house. not It's even way before she was born. But sometimes in the afternoon, after I get my day done, I eat a little pot cookie. My wife is home. All I got to do is watch Yo Gabba Gabba with her and play <laughs> with her shit, you know? I even went to see Yo Gabba Gabba live. <laughs> you're I kidding me. up to that, too. Oh,
5: yeah. Was it the worst thing you I ever saw? Yo Gabba no, Gabba it wasn't was the
7: worst. It wasn't that bad. I would really? not
5: watch Yo Gabba but t- Gabba. But you're 20. You know, well, you're fucking dance. 20. Yeah. No, when
7: you're um, a year, when there's a black guy jumping up and down with fucking barn animals, that's interesting. You're fucking 20. You don't even need pop cookies. What the fuck, man? Get <laughs> <Yeah, they're> it together. You know what I'm saying? That's why you don't fucking like yo, gabba, gabba. You need a pop like- cookie. I like to dance. Everybody, are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah.
6: It's time to dance. catchy. Yeah.
7: When you're a fucking nine month old kid, and there's a black guy jumping up and down with an orange hat. That's fucking tremendous. <laughs> when you're an adult, you're not supposed to well, fucking I'm like a, that shit. We're I'm a to nanny. Like, so we're so i We're supposed to, to watch like Breaking kind of Bad and Puerto Rican stabbing <laughs> white people. That's what we're supposed to like. But <laughs> I
5: definitely. See, I lie. thought Yo Gabba Gabba was like a long time. I, you know, it seems like every four years they have like a whole new set of kids. Yo Gabba Gabba was pretty new.
7: Yo Gabba is Gabba, it? Team Umizoomi. <laughs>
5: There, the, the, backyard, that the backyard again? the backyard again, backyardigans, the Dora. Secret Agent man. I hate Dora so much. Dora, Dora's been around for a I long. time. I will get like him and ranch dressing if you get me talking. Yeah, about Dora, it.
7: Dora pisses me <laughs> the fuck off. Oh my gosh,
5: that show!
7: <laughs> See, they teach him that fucking that, that book Spanish. They ain't to do dick for you in the streets. Book Spanish. Yeah, you know me, casa. You gotta talk fucking. You gotta talk about what pe- Spanish people want to hear. Pineapple juice, shit like that. We'll and shit like that. No, I, I talked to my daughter Spanish on my own. My wife is Irish, so and she's Irish and half American Indian from Tennessee. Okay. So my job was to teach the baby Spanish. When I first came from Cuba, I wanted my parents not to talk Spanish to me
6: all right.
7: at all. But well, after my mother you. died, I'm very happy that she taught me Spanish. Because it's it makes your mind more analytical in a way. So mm-hmm. I I know neighborhood Italian from the neighborhood guys, I know right. Spanish. Oh. I know English. So I wanted my daughter to have the same. So she's like a sponge at this age. Right. So I always talk to her in Spanish all day long. That's so Dora ain't gonna do dick for you
6: mm-hmm. when
7: you got the real deal talking to you on Espanol, you know, the right. real Spanish. So right. that's uh but there's some kid cartoons that yeah, you know, they suck. I mean they're not all Popeye. When we were kids, what we have? Yeah. Fucking Popeye and the guy chasing the other guy. Yeah Tom and Jerry That's it oh, yeah. No the other guy He yeah.
1: <laughs> Runner. Tom, Tom and Jerry <laughs> <Kylo laughs> <What are you, laughs> Uncle.
2: Tom and Jerry <laughs> you you Her shit? uncle <laughs> <laughs> What are you her uncle
6: That's me i talking the fucking talking
2: Wiley Coyote Wiley Coyote oh, right, And the Roadrunner
5: well, there's The two seeing... guys
2: chasing each other. Yes, yeah. yeah, two <laughs>
6: guys.
5: <laughs> I, I get what you mean. There's a spinoff now of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood called Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood.
2: Really? The tiger oh, from is?
5: Mr. Rogers. Really? Oh, the little Why puppet. Are you moving the camera? Oh, the camera or the uh,
4: the photographer guy wants me
5: to. Which I like that show. Well, oh, the like photographer wants you to move. Daniel Tiger's oh, um, Neighborhood. That it's cute. who hosts it? Daniel Tiger. Daniel Tiger. What's going on
1: behind the scenes, ladies and gentlemen, right now as we're
2: preparing for a photo shoot for Twin Cities Business
7: Cover? This is as crazy as a podcast I've been a part (laughs) of. This is, I love it. People moving around.
5: Uh, Doug Shelby's Merce is in the way. Who's that? His
7: Merce is in the way. His His
5: Merce is in the way. How about the Uh, Stack Merce? Thank you. Would you like I'm a Prilosec? No, do you have right. a little heartburn? Lots of Prilosec.
7: I don't get heartburn yet. I don't know why. You're lucky. <laughs>
5: You're lucky. Because he's unbelievable. not stressed out because he's so high from all the brownies. That's uh, right. See? Exactly. Yeah. Well, you can no, mail I, me a little.
6: What I started
7: doing was they don't have, they have the big shit in LA, but they also have like, if you don't want to eat cat cookies or whatever, they have capsules that look like vitamin E. Oh. So three, it's 25 bucks for five of them that they can't, nobody could tell. They think they're vitamin E. They have everything from...
5: Oh, so it's like a gel cap thing? Yeah. No,
7: and just know. THC. Just THC. Pure yep. THC in a capsule. They have, just, uh, they have gummy bears. That's, that's like, terrifying. Like, like uh, they have uh, Chibo, you know, California, uh, Colorado really has it down. Yeah. But Chibo Chew is out of Colorado.
5: What's a Chibo Chew? Chibo
7: Chew is a, uh, what do you call those things? Tootsie Roll? Yeah.
6: That's,
5: that's
7: all a Chibo Chew is. It's three calories. It's they come in seventy milligrams of THC or one hundred and seventy-five milligrams, oh my God. <laughs> and they have the goomy bear called the Devil's uh, something, the Green Hornets. Green Hornets. and they'll fucking kill you. They're seventy milligrams.
5: Okay, now when you go in, you get your little pot card or whatever it's called. Um, you don't need did they just give you, you, Does that basically? mean you can just get anything? Like-
7: anything you want. Yeah. Anything.
5: Anything. As high you don't have THC to stay as they to like, make it. Yeah, you say, don't have, you have to don't stay have at to some stay level, level because t- they no.
0: think that you have a backache and so I tell don't people don't eat
7: the five hundred milligram brand. I even tell the store owners, I'm friends with Auntie Dolores who makes that brand. And I even told her, I called her up and I go, Five hundred milligrams is a lot. Yeah. I mean, I used to have banana bread that used to kill people. Twelve hours, wow, kill you, kill you. This is and it was like hundred milligrams. This is five hundred oh milligrams. My God. So when it hits you, it overtakes you. Like yeah. oh. you lose your breath and stuff. You're like, what the hell? You gotta get like chicken. You gotta eat something real quick. <laughs> it's like, awful. It's but once you're there, you're like, wow. Like, if you're going to see a concert, the problem that we have that 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 that's really interesting about this is, I had these anxiety pills years ago mm-hmm. that the doctor gave me. I was doing blow back then, like eight years ago.
3: Oh, that will give you. Anxiety. And I have this,
7: and I have this yeah. black friend named Sergio. That he's, you know, remember that commercial, Mikey. Mike, you eat anything? He, everything he, he likes was Mike. Yeah, yeah. I would go in his pockets and he'd have Valiums. He'd have anything. And I would, he would eat 10 Valiums at a time. I mean, this guy was oh the my real God. deal. And one day I gave him those anxiety pills. And he called me back two days later and he goes, I don't know what you gave me, but it was the worst feeling I've ever had in my life. And I stopped all that shit. I started going to acupuncture. So what I started doing was eating a little bit of marijuana and going to yoga. Doing simple things because the big thing in LA is eating marijuana and going to yoga. You, you, that changes your whole damn life. Really? <laughs> you want to see the devil? Oh, you, you go to, to a basic yoga then? class. Oh, no. You eat a little piece of, of edible an hour before yoga. Ten minutes into yoga, you're not going to believe that life is so good. Really? You're not going to believe. A I lot.
5: wish you would smoke pot rather and, than take all the stuff
7: and to go take. to yoga. I'd right. I I be much so much happier. Smoke if Smoking pot, so, it's, it's eat, an eat an edible, then go. I'd rather people eat a 70 milligram. They even have these things Chibochu makes that's pain relief. You ready for this? They mix 70 milligrams of THC with, uh, what's the aspirin, the popular aspirin? Oh, ibuprofen. Oh, really? So, the... Oddville hits you and then the THC hits you for pain.
6: Addict.
7: It's amazing. It comes in a little blue box. Really? It's amazing what they've yeah. done.
6: Really. Colorado
7: <laughs> has taken it to the next level. Yeah. On the news to people who are very conservative, yeah. it looks like they're just a bunch of potheads. Like, oh Colorado a bunch of pot. Let me tell you oh. something, what did it make for the state? Did a lot more for the state than gay marriage did.
5: Oh, absolutely. Okay, so yeah. what
7: are you talking about? Money wise what well, they're not
5: a pot. The bottom
7: line. What do you yeah, do when two guys of- get married to have a party right. and get socks and shit like that? Right. I'm talking about a million a day. This is what we need. Right. Now, me, I could care less whether you legalize or not. I'm gonna still smoke it like I own it. You want to throw me in jail? Well, they didn't throw me products, in jail. They
5: didn't have all those products. Before right. They I can care
7: less. I mean, it's it will. It's 2014, yeah. and people taking pictures with their phone. And you still don't wanna. You are still mad because people smoke spot. Show me the fucking Bible. Where did <laughs> fucking Jesus? Smoke fucking pot. Where does it say not to smoke pot in there? The Ten Commandments. You see any fucking thing there? So what are you talking about? What the fuck are you talking about? Me? I'm not a junkie, but I like. Just tuning out from time to time. You ever smoke a half a joint and put on a fucking iPod? And then you young guys put on Pink Floyd animals. It took and changes your fucking life, <laughs> He's don't the
6: it? authority.
7: Okay, then. He's the and authority. Okay, then. With a cup of coffee. You don't need to eat, take heroin or do blow or no. eat Valiums. Just take two hits off a fucking number and put on Pink Floyd animals and call me in the morning, bitch. <laughs> call me in the fucking morning, bitch. If that don't change your life.
3: Vikings might be done with their season, but these clips, their season never ends. On another episode of the Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast, brought to you by Brad Sean Bryant. Great clips this week
6: from
3: Wilfred Riley, Dr. Jacqueline Jones, and Joey Diaz. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we will see you next week.